0: Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kara tonight. And our topic is More Than Meets the Eye, Part 4, A Different Reality. What we're talking about tonight, we've been talking in a series about how the Bible contains more than meets the eye. And I was struck in thinking about this, that uh, scripture in some sense describes a world that contains people and uh, trees and clouds and mountains and animals and fish and birds and so on. So it seems like our world, but there are a number of ways in which it actually seems to be describing a different reality. And I want to explore a few of those and talk about uh, what some of them mean tonight. So I'd like to invite you to join us on that journey and let's open with a prayer, shall we? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for bringing us together in your name. You are the one God of heaven and earth, the Word made flesh. We pray for your presence among us tonight as we open your Word and seek to know you better through the pages of your Word. Amen. Amen. Sending love to all of you who are out there online, getting the broadcast, getting the audio on the phone, and here in the room. It's a great pleasure to be with you, good friends. And um, I think this is likely to be the fourth part of four. In other words, we'll, we'll be done with this. So uh, more than meets the eye. But trying to look at Scripture and partly just trying to counter that impression that people have. It's fascinating to me that people look at Scripture and they say it is to be taken absolutely literally. You know, it means what it says, says what it means. Uh, something I haven't mentioned in the past few weeks, I don't think is that this biblical literalism, to the best of my understanding, only developed in the early 1900s. Like, this is only about 100 years old. In other words, Christianity existed for 2,000, almost 2,000 years before this idea ever came in the door. You know, I think people think it's a really basic approach to Scripture. But if you, t- if you went back 200 years or 500 or 800 or 1,200 and talked to Christians from that time period, they wouldn't know what you're talking about Taking the Bible absolutely literally, you you know, this is a recent phenomenon, and I don't think we're covering ourselves in glory with this with this theory. And so I wanted to pick some examples tonight. They're just sort of a a grab bag of different things, but they're fun that just and they're well-known examples. a lot of them uh, that just it's pretty clear. It's not really talking about our flesh and blood, time and space world. Okay, let's start with a really obvious one. Let's go to Joshua. So in the Old Testament, you got the five books of Moses and then you get to Joshua. So it's after Deuteronomy. And I want to go to Joshua chapter 10 because from a physics standpoint, we have a bit of a problem in here. Look at verse 12, if you would. Joshua 10, verse 12.
1: Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon.
0: And this is S-U-N. This is not S-O-N. there's not a human being. This is the sun in the sky. Stand still.
1: And moon in the valley of Ai-Jalon.
0: Okay, so both the sun and the moon are supposed to stand still. All right.
1: So the sun stood still. Oh, it did? And the moon stopped Oh, till the people had revenge upon their enemies.
0: Wow. So Joshua was able to command the sun and the moon to stop moving while they were having their battle. And so they went ahead and finished their battle. Go on.
1: Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. Mm. And there has been no day like that, before it or after it, that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel.
0: Now, by no theory of physics that I'm aware of, could you possibly, you know, halt the, the, the you can't stop the sun, you can't stop the moon. Uh, it's actually a function of the earth turning and so on. Uh, and the moon is spinning around the earth and all that. It, it, it's just, it's not physically possible. So I don't know what people do who take that literally, uh, but you have a little problem. It's not really describing exactly the same reality. It's similar, battles, people, so on. There's a sun, there's a moon, but the sun and the moon are not behaving like our sun and moon. And there's an even more striking example in Second Kings uh, so turn to the right. You go through 1 and 2 Samuel, First and 2 Kings. Let's get to chapter 20. This actually appears in two places in Scripture, and it's worded slightly differently. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 20. Verse, um, let's start at verse 8. So Hezekiah had asked for a healing from the prophet Isaiah.
1: And Hezekiah said to Isaiah... What is the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day? And Isaiah said, This is the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backward?
0: You see, there's an offer to have the sun move through the sky and you could have it move forward you could have it move back. What would you like? Go on.
1: And Hezekiah answered, it is an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. <laughs> yeah, that's no, right, right. but let the shadow go backward 10 degrees. That
0: is impressive. When the shadow goes backwards. Okay.
1: So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward. By which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz.
0: Yes. And let's look. Okay. So turn to the right and you'll go through the Psalms eventually and get to Isaiah. Chapter 38, because this is parallel to that story. But I think, if I, mem- memory serves, the, the wording was a little different. Uh, verse 8 there. Let's just look at the. It's the same story, basically, from starting from verse 4. But let's just jump into verse 8 there.
1: Behold, I will bring the shadow on the sundial, which has gone down with the sun on the sundial of Ahaz, ten degrees backward. So the sun returned 10 degrees on the dial by which it had gone down.
0: Yes. It actually says the sun. In this one, it's even clear that the sun did this. It's not just that the shadow did it. Maybe you could figure out some way to get the shadow to do it. But this is the sun is actually doing it. You know, like the sun moved backwards. So the sun not only stopped in one part in scripture, but it actually goes backwards. You know, and now... uh, Either scripture is just fictional and made up or silly or something like that. Uh, or we take it literally or in which case we have a big problem with physics or whatever and we can't understand it. Or we just say, well, God is in- immensely powerful. He can do whatever he want. He can violate his own laws of all order. Or he can send the sun backwards or, or do whatever. Or we think it has a deeper layer of meaning. And to me, this is the most compelling answer because you get to preserve features of the text, but it also becomes much more relevant because it's about things in our own lives. Um, We're just going to pick some different examples. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, shall we? All the way in the left of your Bible to see another. So that was the sun doing things that the, the physical sun doesn't do. And as far as I can imagine, it has never done. And that may sound like I'm undermining scripture, but I really believe it's about something else. Wasn't it interesting? Did you notice in the story about the sun standing still that they quoted the book of Jasher? They quoted the book of Jasher. Now the book of Jasher, Swedenborg says, comes from the ancient word. It's from a lost revelation. So interesting, it says the sun stood still and they said, isn't this written in the book of Jasher? It refers to a text. It's not talking about physics. It says a text says it. So they're quoting an ancient book. And then this book also has a similar story in it. You know, it's just intriguing. It just puts a little crack into it, like that it would be just to be physically understood the way that it's described. If, it's, if it cites a, a text, what do you mean, like this happened before Or Jasher was predicting it? You know, why would it say that? It's just curious to me. Look at Genesis 3. Let's read the first five verses of this well-known story.
1: Now the serpent was more... We know
0: serpents. We have serpents.
1: ...was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made.
0: Yes. Strange that the Lord God would make cunning creatures, but go on.
1: And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent...
0: now uh as far as science has been able to determine serpents have not acquired the use of language even to this day so the idea that way back in the dawn of time they were speaking carrying on you know articulate whole sentence conversations uh with certain knowledge about the nature of god and so forth it seems (laughs) it could could seem a little far-fetched to certain people and so to people who read scripture from a kind of atheist perspective this is the kind of thing that just says, okay, throw out the book. We got to chapter three. There's a speaking snake. I'm done. But, um, but uh, Swedenborg has a great explanation of what that means, that the serpent means that lowest part of ourselves and also the part of our own nature that tends to believe our senses. It's a part of ourselves that sort of crawls on its belly. It doesn't, doesn't fly. It doesn't soar whatever. It's just like I've got to see it to believe it. Kind of like Thomas, you remember when he, he, he wouldn't believe that the Lord was resurrected until he stuck his fingers right in, you know, it's, it's that kind of part. Uh, it, that's, that's a similar kind of story if you look at it from a deep level. And so uh, that's what it's talking about. Yes, can that part talk to us? Oh, all day long. Yes, very articulate, you know, but snakes, no. The, uh, so you have a little problem there with the snakes. I also <laughs> want to just draw your attention... Uh, to the fact that, what did we read in 3, verse 3 there? Could you say that again, Mm -hmm. dear reader?
1: But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. So
0: would you say that that tree that they're not supposed to eat was in the midst of the garden?
1: That's what it says. Would I be right
0: in determining that? Okay. From
1: that sentence. Okay,
0: look back at 2, verse 9.
1: And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden.
0: Oh, wait. No, the tree of life was the one they were allowed to eat. And that one was in the middle. And what other tree?
1: And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil.
0: Yes, and if you're familiar with the story, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the one that they were told not to eat. And when they started, it wasn't in the middle of the garden. In 2 verse 9, so... Scripture has trees moving around here, you know, like who's in the middle? Well, it doesn't make sense for trees to to move around. But if you understand that this is whether the Lord or whether your own understanding is at the center of your life. Yes, those trees move. Those trees can change places and a different tree can be in the middle. And that's part of what the serpent has to do with, too. You know, that tree is now in the middle. It wasn't in the middle before. So part of the problem is that the tree has moved and gotten in the middle. Okay, let's read another animal talking story, shall we? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible. You know this very well. You know where I'm going, good friends. Chapter 22. Um, Why don't we start at verse 21? Balaam has been asked to come and curse the children of Israel.
1: So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused, because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Mm. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when so you get
0: what's going on, that the donkey can see the angel, but Balaam can't. And so the donkey keeps moving the way the angel wants it to move, but, but Balaam's angry because he's not going where Balaam wants him to go. Keep going? Yes, please.
1: And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. Hmm. So he struck her again.
0: Mm. such a vivid little, you know, like, oh, you know, get your foot, your, your, the way you sit on the animal now, your foot is crushed against the wall. Okay.
1: Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where mm. there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. Mm. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff.
0: <laughs> All right. Yep, keep going.
1: Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and, oh. she, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Mm. And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me. I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and listen to the donkey's articulate defense
1: (laughs) so the donkey said to Balaam am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours the audience is weeping at this point you know the donkeys (laughs) was I ever disposed to do this to you and he said no
0: (laughs) now that's a good I mean the donkey you know Balaam was a wise man from the east he was brought in because he was a man with powers and so on And the donkey is outmanoeuvring him here in this conversation. (laughs) Go on.
1: Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face.
0: And let's go on.
1: And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? (laughs) Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would also have killed you by now and let her live. Wow. Mm. Go on. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. There we go. For I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back.
0: Yes. And they go on and have a conversation from there. So, you know... I mean, we can take an interesting lesson on how to deal with situations like that. You know, if you're accused, isn't that a wonderful sort of argument? Says, am I not your donkey? Haven't you ridden on me, you know, from the beginning until this day? Did I ever do this to you before? It's a very, you know, it's a it's a wise, compelling argument. (laughs) And Balaam has to say, no, no, you've never mistreated me before. I have to admit. So it's a wonderful little exchange. Now, this is not how it works with physical donkeys in our world. They're sometimes stubborn, from what I understand, and so forth, uh, but they don't talk or give compelling reasons. I love Swedenborg's comment. At some point, you know, he was having these amazing spiritual experiences, and then he paused, and he said at some point, having uh, these, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, uh, having a spiritual experience Experience is really no big deal. I mean, Balaam's donkey had a spiritual experience. Um, so <laughs> I think that's a nice sort of humbling perspective on, you know, in case we get proud when we have these kind of things. Because um, the, the Balaam's donkey was seeing the angel many times before before uh, Balaam saw it. Now, what I love about this, it's just a little story. It's an engaging story. It sort of hooks your mind, doesn't it? A great little story, the crush of the foot. And it's got all these little details, like one time it's, boom, and then another time it's too narrow this way. And then the first time the donkey turns off the path and everything. But if we could see behind the scenes into the spiritual world, we would see that there's so much meaning in this story. Scripture has this kind of holographic effect. You know, if you take a hologram and of, of, a, let's say, looking through a keyhole, and you split it into all these pieces, every single piece can see through a keyhole. And if you move it back and forth, you could, you could see everything in the picture through that one little sliver. Scripture is that way. It, the, the whole story of our lives is here in this little story of Balaam because the donkey has to do with our rational mind. It's a per, certain part of our mind. And here we go along and there's a certain part of our mind. And, and Balaam in this story, I think, is like the, the lower self, is like our consciousness or something. So there's something in our mind that is starting to see something of heaven, but we can't see it and it's sitting down and we want our mind to do something. It won't do it or it turns this, you know, they say uh, if your body was as undisciplined as your mind is, when you try to meditate, you'd never make it across the street alive. Uh, You try to get your mind to do something and whoops. Oh, it goes over this way and everything. But it's being led by some angelic force and finally Balaam gets humbled like, no, the donkey knew better than I did. You know, even though the donkey is like a, a servant animal or something, it, it knows more. It's about a part of ourselves, our rational mind, that's open to things of heaven that we in our lower selves, uh, or our ego, or whatever you want to call it, may not be in touch with. So uh, these stories are, are so rich, and to me, the little clue that there's more than meets the eye is the talking, wise, compelling, argumentative donkey who's having spiritual experiences? You know, that ought to be a clue that we're in a somewhat different reality than normal, say, farm life or something, you know. Um, So those are animals uh, speaking. We've had the sun standing still and going backwards. In other Bible stories, we have, uh, in other Bible studies, we have talked about how, The clouds in Scripture don't behave like clouds. There's a cloud that sits over the children of Israel that moves forward when it wants them to move forward. It stops, never seems to be affected by the wind, never seems to do anything that normal clouds, you know, it doesn't ever rain or do anything a normal cloud would do. Uh, So clouds behave in an uncloud-like way. In the last few weeks, didn't we have mountains and hills that were skipping and leaping around, you know, not behaving like mountains or melting completely, and so on, not behaving the way mountains generally behave. Uh, so you have clouds that don't behave like clouds. You have mountains that don't behave like mountains. Here are animals: there are snakes and a donkey that don't behave like snakes and donkeys. Uh, we're in a different reality. It has enough in common. What what percentage would you put on it? I, you know, like ninety percent. You know, it's. It's a lot like our world so that we get lulled into thinking, oh, yeah, right. You know, you ride a donkey and you're trying to get somewhere and it's not obeying you. Yeah, we've all been in that situation, but uh, (laughs) but uh, no, it's telling a different kind of story because there's an angel right in the story who's talking to the donkey, talking right to Balaam and everything. We're in a different reality. It's like our reality, but it's not identically the same. Oh, let's go to Matthew in the New Testament. Just picking examples out of the hat. Uh, mm, This is good fun. Okay. Okay, where was this star? Now, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, Christmas story, very important story. So where is this star and where did they go to follow it? Okay. Verse 1.
1: Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him.
0: Okay. Now, the idea is, and you find out later from the story that they're following the star and everything. So they're in the east of Jerusalem. So to get from the east to Jerusalem, which way do you have to go? You have to go west. If you're in the east of somewhere to get somewhere that you're at the east of, you have to go west. And they're following a star. And where is the star? It's in the east. So they're seeing a star. And now you could say, oh, well, it just means that when they were in the east, they saw a star wherever it was. But usually, in English, if you say a star in the east, you mean, oh, turn toward the eastern part of the sky, there's the star. You don't mean that you're in the, in the east, you're just where you are. So we saw a star in the east, have come to worship him. Okay, look at verse 7.
1: Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. Okay. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him... Bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was.
0: Okay, the star they had seen in the east went before them. The only way, yeah, you know, to get from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, it's just the the directions don't entirely work out. And it's only the most important story in Scripture. Uh, so the, there, there's funny things also with the Genesis story, and when they're kicked out of the Garden of Eden, there's funny things about the East and where the East is. There's like there's two Easts or something, and and uh, so Scripture does this kind of thing from time to time. Uh, have a look also, would you, friends? Uh, in um, actually, I want to I want to do a little. Let's do a little series here. Let's go back to Genesis 21. I just want to do this because this is something that happens a lot in Scripture, and I would submit that it doesn't happen to us in the course of our normal daily waking lives. Uh, Genesis 21, verse 17.
1: And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said... Yes, out of where? Out of heaven.
0: Okay, so an angel called to Hagar out of heaven... And talked to her uh-huh. and said, hey, what are you doing? And so on, you know. So this voice out of heaven thing is a thing in scripture. I mean, it happens a lot. The voice out of heaven thing in our world. No voices out of heaven. No out, out of the sky or what like. Do, doesn't happen, you know. So what is this voice out of heaven thing? This is what I mean. It's a different reality. And you get used to scriptures. like, yes, a voice came from out of heaven. Oh, of course, a voice from out of heaven. But it's not a, like, it's not tar- describing the same physical reality we live in. Turn to the right, go into the middle of your Bible to the Psalms. And then keep going right through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And we get to Daniel chapter four. We're skipping a whole bunch of these, but... Um, All right, this is about proud Nebuchadnezzar. We had fun with this in Bible study one night. Let's read it for verse 28 in Daniel.
1: All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months... This guy
0: was somewhat proud.
1: He was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying... Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty?
0: Yes, and he has been specifically warned about this, not to be proud and that he was going to be cut down. And he's striding around on the palace and saying, I am amazing. And what I have built is truly astonishing. And then or words to that effect. And verse 31.
1: While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you.
0: Yes, and they'll drive you out from the kingdom of men. You're going to live like an animal for seven years and, and all this. And that really does happen. So voice out of heaven, just telling him not to be, not to be proud. Okay, let's go to Matthew in the New Testament. Matthew, first the Gospels chapter three. Uh, this is when Jesus was baptized. So he's baptized and in let's read verse 16 and 17 now.
1: When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, Mm. and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him.
0: Now, I want you to fix that image in your mind for a second for a later purpose that I hope to make of it. So the Spirit of God came down on him like a dove, right? Mm -hmm. After he was baptized, the Spirit of God came down on him like a dove. And what happens in verse 17?
1: And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying... This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Yeah,
0: this voice out of heaven thing. It's a thing in scripture. It just keeps keeps happening. There's a lot of them we're not reading. Matthew 17. Transfiguration. They go up on the mountain. The Lord's whole appearance changes. And look at verse 5.
1: While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him.
0: So this is a voice that comes specifically out of a cloud, not just out of heaven, but out of a cloud. And it terrifies them. They fall on their face, and they're very afraid, and so on. Okay, let's turn to the right to John. So go through Mark and Luke. Get to John, chapter 5. What do I want here? Am in the right place here? 5 verse twenty. Okay. Oh, yes. This is interesting. Let's read verse 28 there.
1: 28.
0: Yes. This is the Lord speaking.
1: Do not borrow. Oh, mark- let's read Go.
0: verse 25. Sorry.
1: Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live.
0: Is that how it works. Like, uh, you know, you hear the voice and you live. So you're de- the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And look at verse 28.
1: Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation.
0: Yes. Wow, so here's this voice and it's it's bringing people out of their graves. And uh, look at 11 verse 45. Scripture is always, there's always an echo somewhere. And uh, so this is, um, I'm sorry, we want 1143. This is Lazarus is dead. He's in the grave. And look at verse 43.
1: Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth.
0: Oh, so now Jesus is the voice. And he said it was going to be the voice of the Son of God was going to call people out of the graves. Here he is. He's doing it already. Mm. And verse 44.
1: And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And mm. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go.
0: Look at John twelve twenty-eight. So I just thought that was an interesting parallel. And then Jesus is speaking in 1228.
1: Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Keep going. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake.
0: Yeah, there's just loads of voices in Scripture. Okay, turn to the right. Let's go to Acts. Voices that come, you know, from no particular vocal cords or any particular physical body (laughs) or anything. They just come out of the sky, out of heaven. Acts chapter 11. uh, Peter goes up and lies down on the top of the house. You may remember this story. And 11 verse 7, Peter says...
1: And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat.
0: Yes. And he protests.
1: But I said, no, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven.
0: Ah, it says the second time, it's a voice from heaven. It's this, you know, it's a voice from heaven. And what does it say?
1: What God has cleansed, you must not call common.
0: Yes. Okay, now let's flip almost all the way back to the book of Revelation. It's to the right of Hebrews. I want to go to 2 Peter because the apostle Peter describes the experience of the transfiguration in his epistle here. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, how does he describe it? Oh, let's look at verse 17 as well.
1: For he received from God the Father honor and glory, when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. Uh-huh. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain.
0: Yeah, they heard it too. So a voice from heaven. So it, it's, it's in the epistles, it's in the gospels, it's in the prophets, it's in the, you know, uh, this, this voice from heaven is, is, a, is a thing in scripture. And finally, let's look at Revelation There's so many of these in Revelation, it's quite amazing. But let's just look at 4, verse
1: 1. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven... And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, Mm. saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this.
0: Yes. Okay. And so immediately he's in the spirit in the next verse. And there's a throne set in heaven. So not only do these voices just come from heaven, but all you have to do is go up and you're there in heaven with them, with, with the voices. This is, my friends, a different reality than the physical reality in which we live. We don't have voices coming to us out of the sky, most of us, I hope, and, uh, and we don't just get lifted up. It's like, whoop, pop, you know, I just went up and there I was in heaven. This is a different reality that's being described. Look at 10 verse 8 in Revelation real quick.
1: Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth.
0: There's a voice from heaven. Okay, 11 verse 12.
1: And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them.
0: Okay, clouds do not usually function as heaven elevators, but this is what they are in this particular case. They hear a great voice from heaven that says, Come up here, and up they go to heaven. This is not our physical world that is describing. This is a different kind of reality. Uh, look at 14, verse
1: 2. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder.
0: Okay, that's good. And verse 13, the same chapter.
1: Verse 13, the same chapter. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on.
0: So this is a major thing from one end of scripture to the other. Look at 18, verse 4. There's more than one, maybe, or it's just happening again or something.
1: Eighteen And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people.
0: Don't be partakers of her sins. Okay, and 21, verse 3.
1: And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God.
0: Okay, so these voices from heaven are saying very important things. Uh, So it's just another little thing. It's not sort of ordinary reality. You know, it's not our normal thing. And, uh, of course, we're not even going to talk tonight about all the miracles, but, you know, taking five, uh, you know, two loaves and five, five loaves and two fish, and then having 12 baskets left over and the same kind of thing again and another miracle with slightly different numbers. And uh, all these miracles are not things that we experience in a physical way on a day-to-day basis. So scripture lulls us into thinking that it's talking about our reality, but it has many features that don't quite obey The same rules of time and space and sequence and so on, uh, you know, um, that we live with uh, in our physical lives. And the last example that I want to talk about at some length is Genesis chapter one. I want to talk about creation. I often think about creation and we've talked about it before in Bible study, but it was striking me so much. I woke up early this morning and was just thinking about, wow, yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's start this this way, shall we? Uh, I I have some things I want to say about, about creation. Because creation is a particular focal point of literalism. Like, literalists will say, well, okay, other things may be allegorical, but the creation story... The miracles in the new, you know, there are certain things that people feel very, very strongly about. This thing happened the way that it's written. It's it's literally true. This is how it all happened. Uh, There are theme parks that, that deal with this and everything. So let's look at this and think about it a little bit. Let's read Genesis 1, verse 1. Okay.
1: In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth.
0: Okay. Now, dear reader. Yeah. Would that suggest to you that God Created heaven? Yes. Would it suggest to you that God created the earth? Mm -hmm. Would it suggest to you that that happened in the beginning? Yes. Yes. That's what I get out of it, too. And, uh, (laughs) And God there. Now, God is sometimes known as God Almighty. Have you ever heard that expression? God Almighty. Almighty means omnipotent. Omnipotent is just Latin for almighty. Omni, all, potent. Mighty, Almighty. God Almighty. So God has all power. And so God created the heavens and he created the earth.
1: Okay, let's look at verse two. The earth was without form and void. Hold it. Now wait a minute.
0: Didn't you just tell me that God created the earth? Mm-hmm. That God Almighty created the earth, and yet the earth that he created was so bad that it didn't even have form at all. The most basic thing you need to do when you create something, everything has a substance, everything has a form. There's no form without a substance and no substance without form. Really? He messed up so badly on day... Like, like this is the beginning. By verse 2, he's messed up so badly that he made an earth that has no form whatsoever how could he blow this i can't believe it why wouldn't if you're almighty why take 7 days why not just do it why not make the people make why would you make it so that it's without form and void it doesn't even have a form the earth is without like why would god do that that's so Bizarre. And you know, you know that there's this refrain that God saw that it was good, right? It says that it, God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God saw that in the very end, it said God saw that it was very good. If you read the story carefully, my friends, he never says that about the earth. He never says the earth was good. He said the earth was without form and void. Now, when the earth starts growing grass, he says the growing grass is good. That's good. He never, now why would he make an earth that's no good? Why would he do it? The all powerful God. What is he doing? And how could scripture in the second verse tell us that he messed up? And if that's really the case, why would he let the reporters write it? Why not suppress that? If you didn't make it right and you make it without form, you know, why would you put that in the book? that you messed up on the first thing you ever did, you did it wrong and it had no form. How can you even call something something that has no form? It just struck me this morning. Wow, the earth was without form and void. And didn't I say when we were reading about the baptism, didn't that spirit of God come down like a dove onto Jesus and rested on him? What do we see here in verse 2?
1: The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters.
0: Mm, The Spirit of God, such a powerful image, isn't it? The Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. Hovering. Now, is the Spirit of God a physical thing? How much does it weigh? How big is it? Does it have, like, air pressure? So many pounds per square inch or something, you know? Does it blow one way or not? You know, the spirit of God is not a physical thing. You can't weigh it. It no, it doesn't have pounds per square inch or what it's a non-physical thing. So whatever this earth is that was created, it has the spirit of God. You know, we're in verse two. We're already having serious trouble with the physical explanation of what happened. It doesn't make sense. And why would you create something that was flawed and then have to go through? Even though seven days is impressively quickly, still, why would you do that? Let's read on a little bit here. Verse three.
1: Then God said, let there be light. And there was light.
0: Okay. This is the first thing, right? So you've got the earth. The earth has a problem. It's without form and void. And there's all this darkness. But he says, let there be light.
1: And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness.
0: Mm, dividing. Okay.
1: God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day.
0: Now, wait a minute. <laughs> what did you just
1: say, dear reader? What was the last bit there? So what the was e- the first day? The evening and the morning.
0: The evening and the morning. Now, I got to tell you, friends, I, I, I'm not I'm truly not trying to be blasphemous here, but, but if I were the creator... I think you'd want to, like, get up in the morning. Like, wouldn't you want to create in the morning? Isn't it? But, you know, when you're fresh and you're at your best, wouldn't you create in the morning? Really, the first thing God created was the evening? This whole thing started with the evening? Seriously? That, that's, creation starts with the evening? That is so bizarre. Like, it's not the night. It's not the day. It's not noon. Or whatever. The evening is where this whole thing starts. It just seems odd, and okay, so there's no sun yet. The sun doesn't come until day four. So where's the light coming from? Nobody's been able to figure that out. So the light is coming from somewhere, there, uh, the, the, but the sun doesn't appear until day four. Now, if you don't have a sun, how do you have light and dark? Because the light and dark comes from the earth you know, spinning around and then slowly making its way around the sun and all that stuff. So the, the Earth is supposed to be spinning around, but there's no sun and somehow there's day and night. Well, if there's no sun, how do you even know what like a day is like people say, oh, well, this was exactly 24 hours. How do you know? Like based on what? You know, the only way that you measure time is you go from noon to noon, you know, when the sun is in the south in the northern hemisphere. was that's how you measure. If you don't have a sun, how, how do you know it? How do you know it was 25 hours or 27 or 20,000 years? Like, how do you know how long a day was if you don't even have the sun to measure it by? Then let's read on a little bit.
1: Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Mm. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so.
0: Okay. Now God is going to name the firmament. So this is is an interesting moment because the first time God's ever named anything. Ready?
1: And God called the firmament heaven.
0: But I thought I read in verse 1 that the first thing he did was he already created heaven. Like... So he created heaven in the beginning. God created the heaven and the earth. And then he did something with the earth and separated those two things. And then he called that thing heaven. You already had a heaven. Eight verses, seven verses earlier. So heaven gets kind of created twice or or, or something weird goes on. And it goes on like this. So my point is... um, And the creation story is fraught with things like this. You get plants growing up out of the ground in day three. And this is a good thing. Uh, But there's no sun yet. And finally, the sun comes along. Oh, and let's look at verse 14. It's just so fun. When the sun is created in day four. So this is beginning of day four in verse 14.
1: Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens.
0: Now, why would those lights be there?
1: To divide the day from the night.
0: Well, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Back in verse 4, what did it say?
1: God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness.
0: Well, he already divided the light from the darkness... Why did you need the sun and the moon to divide the day from the night? It doesn't make you like you. So we're 14 verses in. We've already had a world that was created that was kind of messed up to begin with. And you've had heaven created twice and you've divided the day from night twice. There's just certain little sort of hairline cracks in the story, aren't there? It's just it's it's not entirely coherent. And uh, so it goes on like that oh and look at verse 18 this is what these lights are going to do
1: to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness there it is
0: the third time that it's mentioned dividing the light from the darkness okay good and the evening and the morning every single time here's the evening the morning so everything moves from the evening to the morning you know it seems so odd to sort of start in the maybe that's what's wrong with our world the whole thing started in the evening like no wonder we didn't get a good start. We got off onto the wrong foot or something. And that explains everything. Um, uh, so anyway, dancing on the edge of profanation. But the, um, the point is this, good friends, that as a literal story, if this is the foundation stone, like Satan, no, this is the one you've specially got to take literally. <clears throat> there are profound problems with the story as a literal, you know, it's not behaving the way that light or days or sun, or whatever. You know, It's there's, there's nothing in the physical world that has no form. What it means without form, like how, then it doesn't exist. I mean, how do you create something, but you left out the form, like you didn't make it with form. And why would you make it so messed up in the beginning? Like, why would you do that? But then there's various steps that seem to sort of remediate. Okay, now we got plants, now we got animals and sun, and now, now we're happy, and then the people come along and everything's great. And you got the Garden of Eden, but it, it didn't, didn't start out so great at the beginning there. And there's this refrain in Scripture of the seven days seven days, seven days. It just keeps coming back seven days, seven days. In fact, the story of the Transfiguration in one of the accounts, I think it's in Luke, says, after six days, Jesus went up on the mountain. Now, I just love it. You know, what an interesting, like, starting from when? After, what, what six But when you see the six days of creation, yeah, after six days, the Lord went up on the mountain and was transfigured. That's, that becomes very meaningful when you see it in a different light. Okay, so let me try to explain some of these things. The way that Swedenborg explains the book of Revelation, I'm sure this is familiar to some of you good friends, maybe new to others. The story of creation is the creation of human beings. It's the creation, it's the recreation of each of us doing what it says in Galatians, it's making us a new creature or a new creation. This is about our recreation our regeneration our rebirth. And when you look at the human being and the heredity that we come into the world with, that's why the world starts out messed up. If it was just God making a planet, He could make a perfectly good, wonderful planet. And he, it wouldn't take Him seven days to do it. Why not just go poof and make the whole thing all done? At once? You know, like why, why wait or have it kind of messed up at the beginning, but it gets better from there? But when you're talking about our creation, can you relate, friends? You know, we start out without form and void, and, and that's where we start. And that's why it all starts in the evening. Because we start in the evening, our spiritual life starts in the evening the morning is when the Lord comes into our lives in a new way and he does that again and again and then it's evening and morning are the second day evening and morning you know the spiritual direction of it evening to morning makes perfect sense for a physical creation to me I don't know I would just start earlier set the alarm or something you know uh don't don't wait the evening to to create everything and uh, uh and what it means about light, you know, what it's talking about, it's amazing. It's actually talking about our perception. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it's true, the Lord made us, it is He who has made us and not we ourselves. Uh, The Lord made us and yet our nature is not perfect, you know, from birth, We, we don't have a perfect nature. By nature, we tend to love ourselves more than God. We tend to love m- money and wealth and such things more than we love our neighbor and so on. Plenty of examples in ourselves and all around us. And um, so that's where we start out. And the Lord wants to lift us up from there. And there are these seven glorious days, these states that the Lord takes us through from evening to morning, evening to morning. This is how he he brings us forward. Um That's why it's described as being without form and void. That's why it starts in the evening. That's why heaven, it's very beautiful when you look at it from this lens that he creates the heavens and the earth, but then on the earth, he separates the waters from the waters and he calls the thing between them heaven. It's beautiful. Do you see what I'm driving at? Like the Lord attributes something within us that he says, this is. I'm going to call this heaven. We'll call this heaven here. You know, he 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 created heavens up here, but now he's creating a heaven down here. It's not a mistake, you know. And the dividing of the day and the night, we have to go through that again and again and again. Why does that happen three times? You know, the, the Lord has to do that again and again to say no, that, no. That's that's from darkness. That's bad. This is good, and everything the Lord is doing is good. And when you look at the story from the angle that it's not that there is no sun, it's that the earth knows nothing about it. Right? I mean, God always existed. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God always existed. There is a sun. There's totally a sun. There's already a sun before this story starts. Of course there is. How do you think you get a day? How do you, where did the light come from? How do the plants go? Of course there's already a sun. It's about our consciousness. It's amazing. What, what creation is describing is our consciousness. We don't know there's a sun. We're not aware of any light. It's about awareness. It's amazing to me. And that awareness comes along. So that shows you how, oh, we didn't realize there was a sun until we got to day four. And that was after we'd always tried growing things and some of that worked well, some didn't and so on. And, you know, the waters are separated. There's higher truth and lower truth and different parts of ourselves that we become aware of and Uh, We go through these phases, and that's how we're brought to true humanity. This is not about the creation of just physical human beings with a physical human body. This is about the recreation of the angelic spirit within us. What is that beautiful heart and that beautiful mind that the Lord wants to give us? Those are the seven days that he's trying to take us through. And that's why everything that he does, all the sort of value added that he does, is that's what's good. Like the earth... Yes, it was kind of a mess. It didn't have a form. Form has to do with truth. There was no truth there. But the Spirit of God was hovering on the face of the water. What water there was there, God was hovering over that and waiting to go. And I never saw until tonight when we were reading Bible study that the Spirit of God comes down on Jesus. It just seems so powerful. There's something very deep about that, isn't there? That Spirit of God comes down. That divine truth that comes from love and and, uh, is lifting us up. Um, so, uh, I don't know if I'm making my case good friends, but at least you can feel relieved that I'm going to stop soon. Uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, these are various different arguments that we've amassed that scripture is crying out from Genesis to revelation. The whole thing is crying out that there's more there than meets the eye. If we become more attuned, we start to see it. Another interpretation that was coming to me in the night, and I think it's come to me before, and then I forgot and it came back again, is that the creation story is also a story of how we perceive the Word. At first, we, we don't see anything. We're just in the dark. And then light starts to dawn from it. We see a little bit of light in the Word, but not much. And then, oh, and then we start to see different kinds of truth going on. Okay, okay that's lower, that's sort of earthly, but that's higher, and then... Uh, then things start to grow in our outer selves and then we start to see a vision of the Lord and then all kinds of life comes the fish that have to do with our outer understanding and then birds that have to do with these inner spiritual thoughts that that fly (laughs) up into heaven and then the animals which are positive emotions good feelings and so on and finally something human something that's in the image and likeness of God comes forth in us that's the story that the Lord wants to take us through. And that's a story of how we read the word. The word is about itself. So as we read that story, it's telling us how it plans to do its makeover of us. And it's laying it right up front, just like the index in an owner's manual right up front. So here, here Here's what you need to know. This is what I'm going to do. The Lord is the active party and he's going to take us through. We may feel like, oh, we're and we do we have to try and we have to do things. But the creation story makes it so clear that that comes from God. So in summary, the physical statement of how creation came about doesn't make sense as a physical, literal account. It has serious, profound flaws as a physical account, but as a spiritual account, it has unbelievable depth and beauty. And why are clouds behaving not like clouds? That's because of what clouds mean. Clouds have to do with scripture. Why are mountains jumping around and not acting like mountains? That's because they mean the highest kind of heavenly love. Why are trees moving around and not acting like trees? That's because of their meaning that has to do with perception and so on. Uh, Why are donkeys speaking? Because they represent something in the human mind. The serpent, too, represents something in the human mind. That's why they talk. Oh, why does the sundial go back? That's about our relationship with the Lord and the shadow in ourselves. And does does that go back or is it going forward? Does it stand still while we're fighting that battle? It's a moving picture, isn't it? It just strikes me the meaning of that, that the Lord stays with us until the battle's done. You know, even if as you just stop in the sky, just keep shining till the battle's over. He's going to stay with it. He's not going to go away. It's a beautiful image. Physics makes no sense. Spiritually, gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. The reality that it's depicting is really the spiritual world. It's the world of eternity, the afterlife that we're going to after we end our physical lives here. That's a world in which voices come from heaven, in which you go up and there are angels, in which angels are talking to you. Uh, that's a world in which all these things go. It's a lot, it's like 90% like this world, but it's got some other little features that this world doesn't have, this world of fixed time and space and so on so scripture is begging to show us that there's more than meets the eyes and these kind of examples of physics and so on to me are just further testimony uh, that pleading with us please come in more deeply please let don't remain in a state of being without form and void let that light in start to see oh Whoa, when that light shines, it's like, oh, I see that I'm a planet and there's more than me here and everything. Uh, that, that's, a great, that's a great moment. And the Lord keeps giving us that insight. That's what the Lord laid on my heart. Thank you, good friends, for your kind attention and patience through this most irritating series. And um, <laughs> eye rolling, dear reader, rolling her eyes. Out. So... Uh, <laughs> It's been a pleasure to be with you and talk about these things. I know I'm weird, but I enjoy that stuff. So I thank you for indulging me, and let's close with a prayer. (laughs) Mm. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we are awed at your divine love, your wisdom, the depth, that's in the pages of your word. It's more than we can fathom to all eternity. We thank you, Lord, for showing us a little glimpse of the light calling to us, even from those first and second verses of scripture, just to say, hey, does this make sense? Lift your mind up. Your higher mind can see that angel, even if your ego is still stuck in the literal meaning, getting its foot crushed by the wall. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. That sun will come out.